You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. It's so good. Good afternoon. It's good to see everybody. Um, Thanks for taking time to uh, invest in yourself and perhaps your families into this Christmas Eve service. I should say Christmas Eve Eve service. Um, as many of you know, due to our just renting circumstances, it's hard to um, get to our normal location on the holidays, but I'm grateful for the opportunity just to gather. Uh, and I think it's just essential as much as possible to come together and gather as a church family, in particular right now as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I understand uh, December is one of the busiest months of the year. <laughs> And I know there's like a temptation just to kind of clear the church, you know, take the church off the schedule, right? Because there's just so much going on. But I'm grateful that you see the importance to corporately gathering as a church because when we are together, we are worshiping Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, as many of you know, this sermon series is called The Carols of Christmas. It's naturally going to come to an end this afternoon. Uh, including today's carol, we've looked at five hymns, and more significantly, we have seen how Scripture informs the theology of what we sing, right? We've seen how Holy Scripture is, is just written into the lyrics of each hymn or, or carol that we've, we've looked at. I have found that helpful. I hope you've found that helpful over the last few weeks. I don't know about you, but I've also been pleasantly surprised by the variety of themes that actually emerges from Christmas carols? The apparent assumption, right, is when we sing Christmas carols, is that we are singing about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the natural assumption. So yes and amen. But I want to remind you of a few other themes that we have seen and sung about during Advent. We just sang one of the songs. O come, O come, Emmanuel. is clearly written with the prophet Isaiah on the mind. And Isaiah was all about prophesying about a future Messiah. But it is not only the first advent of Jesus Christ that was on the mind of the author of this particular carol, but the second advent of Jesus Christ. So when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, during the Advent season, we can be praising God for the birth of Christ, and we look forward to his return. That was like the first carol that we looked at. Second carol, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is about praising God for the birth of the Messiah. It is unapologetically a hymn based upon Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. And for the record, it might be my favorite carol. Like if I had to you know, kind of look at the catalog, I just when that one comes on, I'm just blurting it out. So we, that was the second one we looked at. Third one is, O Come All Ye Faithful. It's one of the most popular hymns of the 20th and 21st centuries. It's a carol, as you know, if you just read the lyrics, it's about adoration. The chorus makes it clear. Come, let us adore him. Couldn't be more clear. Last week, we looked at Go Tell It on the Mountain. And it took us into a direction. I didn't initially think about this when I started that sermon. took us into a direction of evangelism. If you have been saved by the grace of the gospel, then you have actually been propelled to a place on the mountain where you are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are proclaiming God's goodness to the people who are at the base of the mountain. So go tell it on the mountain. 
of all the carols that we've gone through, my appreciation for this one grew the most. And today, as you can tell from the handout, um, we are looking at joy to the world. As the title suggests, this is a hymn about joy going out into the entire earth. What I'm going to show you in a moment is that this hymn does not just speak about true statements, like about God, but its foundation is Psalm 98, which is why Andy read Psalm 98 a few moments ago. When this hymn was written, you need to imagine that the author had his Bible on the table opened up to Psalm 98. He's just thinking about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write another hymn, and there it is, Psalm 98. So that is where we've been and where we're going to go right now. So let me pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity and even in this space for us to gather. Um, thank you that we get to come freely and sing praise to you. And now we look to your word. Yes, we look at this precious curl, but at the end of the day, we look at your word coming underneath your word, knowing it is authoritative and instructive and helpful for our lives. So in the power of the Spirit, I trust that you are at work. And these dear friends that are in front of me, Lord, I pray that you keep my mouth from air. I pray that in the only name I can pray, in Jesus' name. Uh, a couple days ago, I turned on the car radio, and I immediately heard uh, these commentators make this particular phrase. And I didn't even know the context. I just heard the phrase, tears of sorrow and tears of joy. And, I, and like as soon as I heard that, I turned off the radio. I started contemplating that contrast. Someone who has tears of sorrow, someone who has tears of joy. Since Genesis 3, the world has been giving us every reason to have tears of sorrow, right? Sin, sickness, personal conflict, and wars between nations have cultivated numerous opportunities to be sorrowful. What happens to your heart after you turn on the news or go to that favorite website of yours for five minutes? You can feel hopeless, scared, concerned, dejected, right? I know that's been in my heart from time to time. When you feel this way, your mind might race to the worst possible conclusions, only compounding like this sense of sorrow. But I would be remiss if I did not point out all the reasons to have joy. The birth of a child, right? I'll never forget um, when our kids were born. So much joy, right? The all-clear diagnosis from the doctor. The unexpected promotion at work. For all the reasons for tears of sorrow, there is also every opportunity for tears of joy. If we're willing to see and acknowledge the reasons for joy. And on the whole, I think this is how people live. I don't think this is like a Christian thing. I think it's just people in general. They live in this constant battle, a tug of war, if you will, between sorrow and joy. And sometimes in this tug of war between sorrow and joy, um, apathy can kick in or even indifference. Like, I just, I don't even want to deal with the tug of war. It's so exhausting. So why not just push both away? Just push them out. But what if I told you that the tug of war going on perhaps in your life or in your soul can cease? Not because of apathy or indifference, 
but because of Christ. What if I could help you see from God's word that you have every reason to be joyful? I think Psalm 98 and today's hymn leads us into this direction. It seems to me that what we read in Holy Scripture and with joy to the world, that Christians can choose to be joyful, even in the midst of trials you experience or the sorrows that you face. What I want to help you to see is that there is not a contrast here between sorrow and joy. That's how we paint it. But there actually isn't supposed to be a contrast. They are not two sides of the same coin. But we can agree with the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 6, I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I am sorrowful, perhaps, yes, but always rejoicing. I think the Apostle Paul knew that was a choice. The theologian J.I. Packer, Packer is absolutely right when he says, Joy is not an accident of temperament or an unpredictable providence. Joy is a matter of choice. When you choose to fix your eyes on Christ, you should see every reason to be joyful. So how did this song of joy come about? Why did this song end up on the list of every Christmas caroler? Well, I obviously told you it's because of Psalm 98, but what about the history connected to that? The original author of Joy, uh, Joy to the World is Isaac Watts. If you don't know the name, you might know of some of the other hymns that he wrote. A favorite of mine that we sing here at Redemption Hill is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That's an Isaac Watts hymn. In 1719, Watts published a book of poems called The Psalms of David. Watts interprets the Psalms with a particular focus on the work and person of Jesus Christ. In other words, Watts was picking his Old Testament Psalms up, and then he wanted to write about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Psalm 98 was one of his favorite Psalms. As it seems to be with many of the great hymns that we sing, Watts's poem, all of his poems, for a while, went unnoticed for years until a man across the pond, he was in England, someone in America, discovered them. Lowell Mason also loved poems. He was a poet, and he loved music. And after Mason read Joy to the World, he set the words to music. And since then, Joy to the World has become the most published Christmas carol in America and Canada, and according to the Dictionary of North American Hymnology. <laughs> Didn't know that was a thing until I read it, right? What is unique about Joy to the World is that it didn't undergo much change from the moment it was penned until today. For the most part, we are singing what was written down by Watts in roughly 1719. But here's the prevailing truth about Joy to the World. It was not originally written to be a Christmas carol. Watts wrote Joy to the World to highlight the arrival and presence of Christ in his second coming, much like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Nonetheless, this hymn in Psalm 98 tell us about the joy that we need to choose to have because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more I read and studied Psalm 98 and Joy to the World, the more my appreciation grew for the br uh, brilliance of Watts. 
Watts helped me answer three questions about joy that I want to share with you right now. And again, he's drawing right from Holy Scripture. First question, who is the source of joy, right? I know the answer is obvious, but I'm going to unpack that answer in a moment. Here's the second question. How do you respond to the source of joy? If there is a source of joy, how do you respond to that? I think we've got to answer that question. And one final question I want to answer. How does the pursuit of joy impact your everyday life? Like, surely it's not enough just to speak about it, but it needs to make a difference in your life. Let's deal with all three questions, one at a time. Psalm 98, verses 1 to 3, if you have your Bible or that sheet, you can look right at it, tells us about the source of joy, starting in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Oh. So much great stuff in those three verses alone. And then after declaring what he knows about God, the psalmist in verse 4 says, "Make a, in light of everything I just said, everything you know about God, everything that's true about God, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyful, joyous songs and sing praises. I mean, it's like, here's all the true things, and then pivot, sing. And how do you sing? With joy. Now, we could make several observations about verses 1 to 3, but let's begin with what is absolutely clear. The source of your joy should not be you. It doesn't like, come from within, stirring up some feeling or emotion. If that's how you seek joy, that will be fleeting. Your source of joy should not be the present you receive underneath the Christmas tree, right? Kids, I know that's a fun time. I get it. I get it. All the kids. But it's not your source of joy. Ultimate source of joy is not found with the presence. The source of your joy is not even your spouse or children. The source of ultimate joy is the Lord. Yes, you can be joyful for what the Lord gives. Absolutely. For example, I thank God for the joy I receive because of my wife, Cherise. Absolutely, 1,000%. She is a joy for me to receive to the degree that she is a gift from God. You better believe it. But because we're both sinners, if Cherise or myself were the source of ultimate joy, that joy would absolutely be fleeting. I see this often with young people and I'm speaking from experience here, there is a temptation to find your joy in another person. If I can just find the right guy or find the right gal, I'll be happy. I'll be joyful. I played that game for three or four years, and it's a terrible game to play. If you're tempted to find your ultimate source of joy in someone else, whoever that might be, 
then you need to allow Psalm 98 to minister to you and do some rewiring in the heart. Look at what the psalmist says about the Lord in verse 1. The Lord has done, note this phrase, marvelous things. The phrase marvelous things is ambiguous, but that, I think, is on purpose. After we read verse 1, our mind should be should begin a catalog of all the marvelous things that God has done in history. God, who is the source of our joy, has, I don't know, how about created the universe, ex nihilo, like out of nothing. That's kind of a big deal. The Lord led Israel out of slavery and out of Egypt, and in doing so, split an entire sea in half. The source of our joy was with Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness, gave a manna, water from a rock. The one who is the source of our joy caused the walls of Jerusalem to fall down, thus giving the city to the people. Like You read that story, initially you're like, oh, uh, all the music must have allowed the walls to fall. You know, they all grabbed their trumpets, right? No, it was the Lord who did that. The source of our joy, the Lord, can will the earth to shake and water to fall from the sky. The one who is the source of our joy can even make a donkey speak. Like, why? I don't, I don't know. Suppose just to make the point, the Lord can do that. He is the source of our joy. If I could sum up these verses that we read in Psalm 98, it would be to say that we are not in short supply of naming the marvelous things that the Lord has done in history. We're not in short supply there. What we are in short supply is remembering the marvelous deeds of the Lord. We need to remind ourselves of what the Lord has done because everything that the Lord has done in history is meant to point to salvation and the one who saves in verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 98, you see that word, salvation, come up three times. In the Hebrew, that word can also mean deliverer. It also means to be victorious. The reason why ultimate joy is found in the Lord is because he offers a victorious salvation for his covenant people. Verse 1 and verse 2 of joy to the world, going now to the, to the hymn, pick up this theme. You can read it in the handout. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. We sing with joy because the Savior is come. Watts was actually very specific with that phrase. The Lord is come. The Savior is come. And now the Lord Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. Like, take note of how the psalmist tells us that the Savior is ruling and reigning over the world. It says in verse 2 that the Savior has revealed his righteousness to the nations. Right now, there's, such, there's this battle of like, how do we judge between right and wrong? And I would just simply say, the God who created and sustained the world, he is the one who judges with righteousness. He has revealed his righteousness to the nations. In verse 3, it says that the plan of salvation has been seen throughout the entire earth. Romans 1 confirms that. No one was without excuse. In verse 4, we read that the earth, 
is to make a joyful noise to the Lord, which I'll talk about in a moment. In verse 7, we read that the world has responded to the coming Savior. And in verse 9, we read that the Savior, again, there's that word, same as righteousness, will judge the world. I point out these seemingly interchangeable words to show you that Jesus is not only the Savior over your soul, but he is actually the Lord over all things. Joy to the world picks up on this pattern. It rightly uses earth and world interchangeably throughout the hymn. So our ultimate source of joy is not only the one who created and sustains the world, but the one who is ruling over the world. Right now, as you sit right there, the Lord is ruling and reigning. Perhaps to make my point from a different angle, I would struggle to find joy in a Savior who is not also the King and Lord over all things. So, if Psalm 98 is true, if the salvation of your soul and the salvation of the entire world is through Jesus Christ, then what is the proper response, right? What's the proper response? Heck, what's the response from God's creation? We read with me Psalm 98, verses 4 to 6, where it talks about our response. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Our response is to sing with joy. It's like, it's one of those like answers to a question that's so simple yet so profound. Sing with joy. You can even grab a few instruments if you want, right? Words going out of your mouth accompanied by a melody is a wonderful way to express joy to God and for God. Here, here are three brief quotes from Charles Spurgeon about joy and singing. The first two are specifically about joy, and I found them pretty helpful. And I quote, The greatest joy of a Christian is to give joy to Christ. That's great. And with this statement, you see how we need to align our affections toward Jesus. And Spurgeon also said, Joy in God is the happiest of all joys. That is such a true statement. Do not find joy in the shiny new object. When your heart and life is centered and focused on Christ, the Savior, the Savior of the world, then you have every reason to be joyful. And if you are joyful, you're meant to sing. You're meant to sing. Here's Spurgeon one more time. And I quote, When your heart is full of Christ, you want to sing. I do not go to a lot of pastor's conferences. Um, I can count on one hand the number of pastor conferences that I've willingly gone to. This is some I have to go through our denomination, but the ones I've willingly gone. Uh, But when I do attend a conference, there's one aspect that I love to participate in. I love to sing with a room full of people who are joyfully singing to God. 
in particular, when I go with, with other pastors who are men, right? Like just that belting out a bunch of dudes singing to Jesus. Give me that every day of the week that ends in Y. I love that. Now, it's not to say I don't love the ladies who sing. We sing the doxology almost every night at the Powers House, and there are times where I just pause, I stop singing, and I just want to hear the voices of my wife and kids. I love that. That melts my heart. And I love when we come and gather as a church, hearing your voices as we come and sing with joy to the Lord. Like, you ever been to a church where the music is playing, but you wonder if anyone is singing? Like, may that never be Redemption Hill, right? We want hearts full of Christ, full of joy that causes us to sing. I have one more point about the proper response to God providing salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, the imagery of Psalm 98, verses 7 to 8, tells us that we are not alone in giving praise to God. Read with me, beginning in verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. There's that word again, joy. With the Bible opened up next to him, Isaac Watts penned these lyrics. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. And then, of course, we get into repeat the sounding joy. Now, of course, uh, generally speaking, inanimate objects do not sing to God. If the Lord willed it, I'm sure it'll happen. But generally speaking, that's not how it works. But that does not mean that God's creation is beyond the scope of rejoicing or beyond the scope of salvation. When sin entered the world, it affected everything. Like we read in Romans 8 that creation groans for redemption. Creation groans to be set free. And we know there will be a day when Christ will return to redeem all things finally and forever. So reading something like this from Psalm, 19, or Psalm 98 is not surprising. It's not surprising at all. For Christ will redeem everything. He will restore everything. So allow me to tie a few ideas together. We sing joy to the world because of what the Lord has done throughout history, the mighty deeds of the Lord. We sing joy to the world because God has not left sinful humanity without hope. God has given you a savior, Christian, a redeemer. We sing joy to the world because of what God is doing right now. The kingdom of God has been established and God is currently working through his church to reach the nations. We sing joy to the world because of what God is going to do after every tribe and tongue and nation is reached with the gospel. Christ will return and complete what he has started. The complete restoration and redemption of all things will happen through Jesus Christ. That's the second advent that we sing about. Again, your ability to sing for joy is not tied to how you feel. Your ability to sing joy to the world is not contingent upon your circumstances. Your ability to sing for joy has nothing to do, say, let's just get ahead of this, is nothing to do with the 20, 2024 presidential election. I'm just working ahead. 
Your joy is not contingent upon who wins that election or any other election. If anything, your emotions and circumstances have the potential to steal your joy. And here, I want you to listen carefully. Don't allow that to happen. Your ability to sing joy to the world rests upon the word that became flesh, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we know that's the person of Jesus Christ. The Son of God did not come into the world to hang out just to see what's going on with us humies, right? Nope. The path of reconciliation is through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have every reason to sing with joy. Every reason. And I'm not talking like some people who sing with joy, like you can just tell, like they're smiling and they're happy and they're jumping up and down. Fine, that's fine, good. Or it might be just, I'm singing, man, I'm, just, I'm singing. And that's joyful too. This is not getting at your disposition. This is getting at your heart. Like I'm the emotional one in the family. So like, you know, some people are more reserved, whatever. It's not what I'm talking about. Stay focused on Christ because he is the source of our joy. And we do respond with singing. That's one way. One more question to answer before I finish. If the Lord of heaven and earth is the source of your joy, how does that impact your life? Does joy in Christ impact your life? To say it very clearly. From Psalm 98, we've seen that the answer is to sing. If my heart is full of Christ, which means I have joy, then I need to sing. I press that point. But here are some other ways joy in Christ impacts your life. We read Psalm 98, verse 3, that the Lord remembers his steadfast love and faithfulness. That's right there in verse 3. It's hard to see this in the English language, but covenantal language is being used here in the Hebrew. Meaning, God has done more than create a contractual agreement between you and him a contractual agreement or one side of the agreement can kind of rip up the papers and walk away. Nope. So much more is actually going on here. God has assured you, Christian, that through the blood of the new covenant, you're his. He's not letting go. You can live with full assurance of faith. You can have complete confidence right here and right now, this Advent season, that you have been forgiven and will spend eternity with Christ. These assurances need to impact how you view your circumstances, like the bad day at the office or that, that terrible thing that that one person said to you for no particular reason. The bad news from the doctor or the presidential election. When you acknowledge that the way God sealed his covenant with you is through the blood of Christ, that assurance should cause you to be joyful. Yes, you will be confronted with trials of this world. That's inevitable. But you navigate this life with Christ, so choose to navigate it with joy. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.